So have you ever been embarrassed? I mean, you know, just embarrassed, like, you know, you, you forgot somebody's name or, you know, you forgot a birthday, you know, maybe your own birthday. Uh, so back in May, we ran out of toner on the copier, and I had to drive over to uh, Columbia to the, the place that has our copier to get a, another box of toner. And so I got over there, and the lady said, yeah, I just need you to sign and date this. I said, okay. So I signed it, and I said, hey, what's today's date? She said, uh, 526. And I started laughing. She goes, what's so funny? I said, I just think it's funny that I just asked you for the date of my birthday. I said, I forgot that today is my birthday. Uh, maybe you forgot a birthday from time to time, and it was a little bit embarrassing. Maybe you forgot a wedding anniversary, and it was a little bit embarrassing. Or, or maybe your embarrassment was something like, you know, your shoe decided to take home some souvenir toilet paper from the bathroom back into the fancy restaurant at the table. You know? or, or maybe your embarrassment was, you know, you were at the Masters Golf Tournament, and you were walking down this easy little hill, but it had rained the day before, and that hill was wet, and it was muddy, and you were wearing bright yellow pants, and you fell right in the middle of it. Now, that one didn't happen to me, but, but it happened right in front of me, and I, it feels like it happened yesterday. Bless that muddy man's heart, boy, and his yellow pants. But there was a worker in Australia that told the uh, Sydney Herald a story that was a bit embarrassing that he was a part of. It seems that he was in an office building one day, and he was cleaning these huge, gigantic glass panels in the building. And those panels undoubtedly had not been cleaned for a long, long, long time. And he was almost finished when one of the employees just walked right into the glass. Didn't even see it. Didn't think anything was there. The guy broke his nose. He walked into the glass so hard. So here's this guy. He's in severe pain. He's severely embarrassed. And the window washer thought he would encourage him a little bit. So he leaned over to him. He said, you know what? That's the best compliment you could ever give me. (laughs) Sometimes... Simple embarrassment, though, shifts, and it moves into humiliation, the kind of of deep shame that stirs us to not want to even leave our house, to not even want to leave our room, just to stay and to stay away from people. Ever been there before? Here's the thing, though. There's something worse than that kind of humiliation. There's something worse And what could be worse, and what could that worse thing have to do with you? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 17. And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. In the verses right before this, we find Jesus at church one day, and there was a, a woman in the church who for 18 years had been crippled, doubled over, She couldn't even lift her head to to see anything. But she was faithful, and she came to the church. And Jesus saw her, and he had compassion on her. And on that day, he healed her instantly. This woman who had been dealing with pain and strain and shame for 18 years, in a moment with Jesus, her life was completely changed. And she was standing up straight again, healed. And the church leaders and, and all the other people, man, they, they were so excited. They ran over and hugged the woman, and they, they went over and shook Jesus' hands, and, and they turned, and they said, oh, boy, we need to praise God for this. No, actually, that's not what happened. The synagogue leader that day, his first response was to be offended and ticked off. And he turned to the crowd, and he said, you know what? This is a church day. 
And on church days, people shouldn't be healed. The only thing we're supposed to be doing is worshiping God and resting. And so Jesus responded to the church leader. And he said, hang on, help me with your math. So it is okay on church day to go unleash one of your animals and take them somewhere so that they can get something to drink. But it is not okay on a church day for a woman who is crippled to be healed. So you support the thirsty donkey, but you don't support the crippled woman. Is that the math, Jesus asked? That's what Jesus was saying and what happened after he said it. Well, the Scripture says that that synagogue leader and anybody that was thinking like him, they were humiliated. Humiliated is in the family of the word humble. So, so it has the idea of, of being brought low or to bring low. And so this synagogue leader and anybody that was thinking like him, they were brought low with the words of Jesus. Now, don't miss that. They did not bring themselves low. They were brought low. They were humiliated because they rejected humility. So let's kind of pull that into our lives a little bit. Are you one of those people that is never wrong? Watch your elbow spouses. Come on now. Are you one of those people that is never wrong? I mean, just, just, just think through just, I don't know, the last year maybe. When was the last time that you can remember saying, I'm sorry, or I was wrong? Or, please forgive me. When's the last time you remember texting that or emailing that or saying that? And if you can't remember, then you should be concerned. Because your family and your friends and your classmates and your coworkers undoubtedly do not yet realize that you are Jesus. <laughs> that you've never done anything wrong. If you can't remember the last time, then you might be thinking, I, I think I'm okay, you know? I mean, I still have my house, I still have my car, still got a little money in the bank, still, still have a job, you know, I've never been arrested, so, I mean, I, I think I'm all right. I think everything's okay. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly what the synagogue leader was thinking that day, something along the same lines. And then Jesus stepped into the room. And Jesus did something amazing. Jesus did something that couldn't be explained. And that leader and other folks like him, their first response was to be offended and ticked off. That's, that's how they responded. They did not humble themselves in front of the power of God that was right in front of them. It was crystal clear, but their vision was blurred. They did not bring themselves low, and what happened? They were brought low. Just, just with one word from Jesus, they were humiliated. They were disgraced. They were embarrassed. They were publicly shamed. Now, that doesn't sound very nice, right? And they were shamed and disgraced because of, of Jesus and what he said. So does that mean Jesus is a meanie? Does that mean Jesus is you know, one of these guys that he can't wait to humiliate you and embarrass you in public? No. All Jesus did was speak truth. And here's the thing about God's truth. It can do one of two things. It can bring you low and free you. 
set you free, or it can bring you low and humiliate you and disgrace you. And how? Well, the very nature of what it means to be confronted with the truth of God is this. It shows what's in our heart. See, as we look at at this synagogue leader, what they were saying and what people like him and what they were thinking like him, what they were saying was this. The crippled woman had less value than the thirsty donkey. That, That was the math in their mind. They were so obsessed with their opinions of spiritual things. They were so obsessed with their personal preferences that they truly, in their minds, by their attitudes and by their actions, thought that the crippled woman had less value than the thirsty donkey. Jesus spoke truth, and immediately their hearts were exposed. We might say it this way. These folks might have been good church members or good church attenders, but undoubtedly they were not truly Christians. They weren't truly saved. And that takes us back to our, our very beginning sentence a little bit, the question, what is worse than humiliation? What's worse than humiliation? What's worse is being humiliated. What's worse is is hearing God's truth and rejecting God's truth, refusing to bring yourself low. Because when you refuse to do that, you need to understand you will be brought low. If you do not humble yourself, you will be humiliated. You, you can't avoid it. Well, somebody might say, well, God, preacher's got to be talking to somebody else. I mean, I've been around for 16 years, 36 years, 46 years, 86 years. I've been around a long time, and I, I don't ever remember being humiliated. So, so I'm, I'm good. I, mean, I, I think I'm fine. Or you might be thinking, well, what about those other people? What about those politicians or those celebrities or those athletes that, or that, that ex-spouse that, that they're, they're committing adultery and they're committing idolatry and, and they're committing all other kind of immoralities and they seem to keep doing whatever they want and they don't seem to be getting humiliated. What about them? Is there any accountability? Is, is anybody going to have to deal with this? The Apostle Paul was writing to some folks at a place called Philippi and this is what he said to them. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's a a moment, a day that is coming. It has been guaranteed throughout the ages that this moment is going to happen. And Paul just kind of covers all the bases, right? What does he say? He says, those are in heaven. So the angels and the redeemed saints, they will bow before Jesus. And then he says, those who are on earth, men and women, boys and girls, ones that are Christians and ones that are not Christians, they will bow down before Jesus. And then Paul says, those under the earth. So the enemy, Satan, and all of his demons and and all those who have already rejected Jesus and have died, they will bow down to Jesus. Every being, everywhere will bow down to Jesus. Even people who hate Jesus, even people who hate Jesus, they will not have the ability to resist bowing down to Jesus and confessing Him as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This is a promise along with all the other promises, and God has never failed to meet and keep a promise. 
So according to the Scriptures, according to the economy of God, and listen, according to your own heart, no matter how hard you might fight against it, your heart has been hardwired. It's been created to know that there is someone bigger than you. Your heart has been hardwired to know that there is one true God and His name is Yahweh Jehovah. Your, your heart knows that. So according to the Scriptures, according to the economy of God, according to your very own heart, there's only two options when faced with the reality of bowing before Jesus. And that's this. You're either going to hear the gospel and you're going to bring yourself low and you're going to repent, and you're going to receive salvation from Jesus, or you're going to reject the message of the gospel, and then eventually you will be brought low through humiliation, and you will confess Jesus as Lord, and then be separated from Him forever. That This is how the gospel and Jesus speak. So in October 2017, does the, all of that make Christianity sound mean and hateful and bigoted and backwards and just a, a bunch of non-tolerant baloney to many people? Yep, it sure does. But as believers, as followers of Jesus, we don't have another option. This is our only option. And why is it our only option? It's our only option because of love. Because of love. Someone might say, what do you mean? How, how can this kind of non-tolerant, exclusive religion be based on love just by the nature of what you're saying? Well, here's why. Apostle Paul, writing to some folks at Corinth, said this. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. 2 Corinthians 5, 13. He says, if we are out of our mind, just unstable fanatics, as some critics say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for your benefit. And then he goes on, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us and compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And then he continues, verse 15, and he died for all so that all those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised for their sake. There's a lot of love in those few sentences. Paul's saying this, if you think we are crazy and out of our mind, if you think we are way too serious about our religion, then we want you to know we are we are crazy and we are serious. We are crazy serious about the love of Jesus. And we are overwhelmed that he would give himself, that he would substitute himself so that our sin would be paid for, so that the penalty of our sin would be paid for and the bill would not be nailed to our coffin with a stamp that says past due. Yeah, we're crazy serious about that love. And we're crazy serious about the love of Jesus that is still in a way that we can't imagine. We're overwhelmed that He's still saving and He's still rescuing. He's still redeeming. He's still keeping. He's still loving today. He's still doing this. And we are so crazy, serious about the love of Jesus that we're compelled, we're constrained that this fantastic, amazing message of the gospel be proclaimed. 
The reality is we are overwhelmed, Paul said, that, that a dead sinner can be brought low and then brought to life. That a dead sinner can find life in the gospel. And so we graciously risk the anger and the danger, the hate, the mockery, the rejection, the apathy that might be hurled at us because we are so compelled by the love of Jesus that we want other people to be captured by that love. It's just that amazing. And so we're compelled on Sundays and on Friday nights and on Tuesday afternoons. We're, we're compelled because of the love of Jesus to proclaim the gospel so that people might realize that it is better to humble yourself now and be raised than to refuse and reject, be humbled later and watch as you bow down and the gates of eternity close and you are shut out from what your soul desires the most. See, the love of Jesus compels us to say hard things because those hard things lead us to the great things lead us to the amazing things. On another day, Jesus said this, John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This, this is a clear picture. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy whatever happiness and joy you might have. And Jesus comes to bring life and bring it abundantly. But sometimes this is just a cute Bible verse we hear on Sunday mornings. We forget what it means. So let me, let me get us to kind of walk down a little bit into what this means. John Piper said this, Most people do not believe this in their heart. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime, not wartime. Very few people think that we are now in a war greater than World War II and greater than any imaginable nuclear World War III. Or that Satan is a much worse enemy than communism or militant Islam. Or that the conflict is not restricted to any one global theater, but it is in every town and city in the world. Or that the casualties do not merely lose an arm or an eye or an earthly life, but lose everything, even their own soul, and enter a hell of everlasting torment. See, we're not just compelled by the love of Jesus. We're compelled by the truth of Jesus. And sometimes the truth of Jesus says, you put more value on a thirsty donkey than a crippled woman. Sometimes that's how the truth of Jesus talks. And sometimes the truth of Jesus comes into us and says, you are terrified over North Korea. Where is your terror over your soul? See, that's how the gospel speaks. That's how Jesus speaks. The truth of Jesus forces us to not just be comfortable, but to see that the reason the spiritual war is the greatest war is because the casualties last for eternity. And the casualties affect the soul. Listen, if you're hearing about Jesus for the first time today, 
then don't be like that synagogue leader. Don't, don't, don't be offended or ticked off that Jesus is demanding that you repent and that you surrender to him. Don't, don't be ticked off at that. Just hear the gospel and bring yourself low and, and enjoy that you can find the freedom that your soul wants the most. And if you've heard about Jesus before, then don't be ticked off or offended. Don't be like the synagogue leader. Don't, don't be ticked off and offended that, that Jesus is calling you to, to repent of, of any phony religion in your life so that your soul can find what it desires most. Because listen, your soul does not desire most a Pharisaic religion. Your soul does not desire most a charismatic religion. Your soul does not desire most an apathetic religion. Your soul desires most to be found in Christ, to have the freedom that only comes from Jesus. That is what your soul desires most. And maybe it sounds arrogant that I'm saying that, but I'm just repeating the Bible. I'm just saying what, what God says throughout the Scriptures and what He has spoken through eternity. Your soul really does desire Him most. So you can chase everything else you want, but you will never be satisfied until you find the joy that can only be found in Jesus. So embrace humility and escape humiliation. So you, you don't have to be humiliated. That's, that's what makes the gospel so great. You can have a different story. See, everybody that day was not like the synagogue leader. Everybody that day was not thinking the same way he was. How were they thinking? Listen to the rest of verse 17. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. All right, multiple choice question. What is best for your mind and your body and your soul? Okay, that's the question. What is best for your mind and your body and your soul? All right, A, bitter resentment. B, breathtaking joy. All right, that's a tough one. I know. I mean, we've got to weigh all the pros and cons and, you know, carry the three. And I mean, I know. We've got, we got to work through that. There's a lot of things to consider. So, so I'll ask again. What is best for your mind and your body and your soul? Bitter resentment or B, breathtaking joy. See, there were some people that day that, that they saw what happened with this woman and they just rejoiced. They, they, they praised the Lord. Now, does that mean that, that all of those people that rejoiced, that they were all Christians? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that everybody that rejoiced that day got saved that day and they started following Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. See, there were some folks that day that I mean, it was just fun to watch this happen. I mean, it was, it was an exciting service that day. And they were, they were really excited about watching and experiencing this moment. But then after the service was over, by the time they got to Zesto and, and Rush's and, and Freddy's and Krispy Kreme, wherever they were going, by the time they got there, they were already back complaining about work the next day. They were already back whining about school the next day. They were already back complaining about the politics at church or complaining about the politics in the nation. They were, they were already back to gossiping about people they shouldn't gossip about or telling jokes that they shouldn't tell. In other words, the service was great. It was kind of like a, a great Sunday morning or a great revival service or, or a, a Christian music concert. It, it was fun in the moment, but it was not going to have an impact on their life. They saw Jesus, but their hearts did not see Jesus. There were some folks like that. And then there were some folks that, that they were excited beyond the church service. 
They, they were struggling. Life was hard. They had some worries, some stress, some fear in their lives. And, and they loved what they saw. This, this woman was healed. And they got excited about it, and they were excited about it all day that day and all day the next day and, and on throughout the whole week. And, and then they went to church the next Sunday, and the same vibe wasn't there. That They didn't have the same feelings that they had the Sunday before. And so they gave it one more Sunday, but the same thing. They didn't have the same vibe, didn't have the, the same feelings, didn't have the, the same emotions. And they're thinking, look, if I can't go to church and feel better about myself, if I, if I can't go to church and, and feel better about everything that's happening in life, then you know, maybe I just need to find a different church. Or, or maybe I just won't go to church. Maybe I'm just going to spend all of my Sundays at the lake. Or I'm going to spend all my Sundays at, at the beach or in the mountains. Or, you know, I'm just going to spend all my Sundays catching up on sleep, and then I'll catch some brunch somewhere and just, you know, just kind of blow things off. There were some folks like that. It was exciting for a little while, but, but it didn't get beyond that. They saw Jesus with their eyes, but their hearts did not see Jesus. And then there were some folks just like that synagogue leader. They saw this woman healed, and their first response was to be ticked off. Their first response was to be offended. They, they scoffed at Jesus. But then Jesus said what he said about the donkey. And, and they felt like somebody had just punched them in the heart. They, they heard exactly what Jesus said, and they began to do the math. They had seen that woman Sunday after Sunday. They saw her just struggling to get into the church and, and get out of the church, but they didn't help her. They ignored her. They turned the other way. They unleashed their donkey. They took their donkey to get water, and they were thinking, well, I mean, that's why we pay the pastor. He's the one who's supposed to help people like that. But then they heard Jesus, and they knew Jesus was right. We have placed no value on this woman in need. And they rejoiced and they repented because they brought themselves low. And they kept rejoicing and they kept following Jesus. There were some folks like that. And then there were some folks like the woman. Boy, they, they had a burden. Something was weighing them down. There was something that had happened in their past, something that was happening in their present, something that was waiting for them that week, and, and that burden, it was just too heavy. It was pressing down and, and weighing them down. They were trying to find relief in lots of different things on Friday night and, and Tuesday morning and Sunday afternoon. They were, they were looking for relief in a lot of different things, but they never got it, not even for a couple hours on Sunday morning. It just wouldn't go away. And, and then they saw this, this crippled lady and they knew they had watched her struggle to get up the steps and, and struggle to get down the steps. And they watched her come into the building, and they knew she was having a hard time just walking. She couldn't look up. But they never helped her find a seat. They never gave their seat to her. And then they saw her shuffle with great difficulty toward Jesus. And then they saw something that they couldn't explain. That crippled woman, she, she rose up. She straightened up. For the first time, they saw her face. They saw her eyes. They saw her tears. They saw her smile. And then, 
they look to Jesus. And they begin to weep. Who is this man? What has he just done? And they brought themselves low, and they repented, and they rejoiced. And before they knew what they were doing, they started shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise the Lord. To God be the glory. On that day, just like the crippled woman, they stepped out of the shadows of their sin. They stepped out of the shadows of their pain. And they found joy in Jesus. John MacArthur says this about this woman. She should be unforgettable in the memory of every believer. I love that. Listen, when you're in traffic on 26 Wednesday afternoon, man, remember this woman. I mean, really, just, you know, we should keep this thing really practical, you know. I mean, when something goes wrong at work tomorrow, man, just remember this woman. Just remember her standing up. MacArthur goes on. The Lord passes by the religious and self-righteous. He passes by those that say and think they're good. He passes by the religious leaders. And the Lord chooses the lowest of the low. The enslaved, oppressed sinner, under the burden and bondage of Satan, hiding in the shadows, aware every moment of suffering, the weight and the burden of sin, hopeless, robbed of dignity, bent over like an animal. And do you feel that way today on the inside? Is that what's happening in your mind today? He goes on. She is met by the Lord. And he, out of his sovereign love, delivers her. He straightens her up. And then he says this. God offers salvation to the outcast, the humbled, those bent over by the weight of sin, who will come and hear him, and he will turn them into true worshipers. So I, I just give this plea as simply as I can. Come and hear. Come and see. Come and believe. Come to Jesus and live. And come to Jesus and only to Jesus and be free. Really.